speaking of the Luddite, guess what I did today? Um, I saw it. Oh, yeah, guess. <laughs> you connected your router to your modem? No, that was a couple days ago. <laughs> you, uh, I, I heard you start to say, you didn't say solder. You didn't solder. Not anything. solder. Close. I so sawed down a tree. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I hope it was. Not, I hope it was dead, Benny. You're not. You're not like one of these fucking city boys who gets into the country and starts yeah, throwing starts, axes and everything. Yeah, I gotta cut something down. <laughs> no, I do have the instinct. Luckily, I got enough shit in this yard that I don't think I have to kill anything alive to clean it up. But I bought these cool, really tall clippers. You pull this thing, and it, you know, for stuff you can't reach. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I know those 10, things. 12 feet yeah, yeah, up. yeah. Got a saw on it. Yeah, yeah. Those oh, are man, useful. I'm, yeah, I'm having fun out here. So, it's like a giant, like, playground. So are you going to have, like, a um, like a bonfire pit? Uh, no, I don't know about that. But you too. I def- you're not, not rural, that rural? Not yet. I'm going to take it slow. I don't want to... Like, jump out here and just be like, yeah, I'm fucking this, you know? Like, I'm still a city slicker. I'm still used, more used to walking out of the front of my house and getting an overpriced coffee right. than I am <laughs> hedging trees. Right. You know? I got to be realistic here. But, uh, yeah, so I'm not trying to go too heavy from the start. But there's a lot of shit that needs needs trimming on this property. I'm a couple days away from getting a chainsaw, though. I'll well, tell you that. Dude, you gotta have a bon- you need to make a bonfire pit so that you can burn off all this fucking detritus. I don't have that. I'm not like out in the. I'm in like a neighborhood. You, you know, are. it's more yeah. suburbs. I know. Yeah, I'm, I'm fantasizing. Not bonfire pitting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like bur- <laughs> the guy's looking over your fence. What the fuck yeah. are you doing over here, Local man? Smokies <laughs> don't come out here. I gotta burn it. Like no, it's not, I'm no. projecting. I'm projecting yeah. my time in Vermont on you, man. I think you more like put it to the curb. Yeah, and like once every couple of weeks, someone comes and picks it up. I'm pretty sure that's you gotta more get a style. you gotta get a special bag for uh, what do you yeah. call it? Yeah, recyclable. But regard, yeah. So I'm trying to take it slow. Like even even take this for instance. I there's one part of the yard I wanted to fill up with something, and I'm like, yo, we eat a lot of apples. Let's plant a couple of honey crisp apple trees. Oh, honey, honey crisp will cost you, will cost you two bucks a piece at the market. If I got a couple bountiful trees in the yard, I'm never paying for apples again. And then I talked to like two people. They're like, yeah, the deer are going to eat every one of your apples. Like you'll never get an apple. And the ones that they don't eat will be eaten by bugs because yeah, apple trees are impossible okay. to grow without tons of chemicals. Like organic yeah. apples, I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but they're coating them in wax or something. It's so, so hard a, to yeah. grow apples. So this is a that's that's a highlight of why I shouldn't be taking too much on to start. But there's I don't know what I, I don't know what I'm doing. Dude, I got to do one of those tests of my soil to uh, see like what could what can even grow here, you know? Right. There's low maintenance stuff you could do though, probably like berry bushes and shit like that. Like there's yeah, stuff probably. that you don't have to tend to. The but deer whatever. will definitely eat it all. <laughs> How more could we bore people than <laughs> landscaping? We're already two dads. We're talking about which trees so. will be fertile in this environment. <laughs> How's that this bathroom renovation going, back? Yeah, Jeremy's got a <laughs> probably nice young crowd. He's actually still in touch <laughs> with want, culture, you know? They don't want to hear this dad shit. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like literally 30 seconds away from ripping a Steely Dan record. We got to cut uh, it out here. Oh, Jesus, Brad. <laughs> 
You're the New Yorker now. You're, you got the tight jeans. You're supposed to be hip. Hey, so, you know, yeah, we have Jeremy Bohm on here. It's awesome. This will be awesome. the second going off track that he's done. He did also, as he says on the show, he guest hosted um, another one. So it's three times that he'll be with us. Yeah, I totally forgot that Justin Pearson story that yeah. we had Jeremy in studio in New York. And it was great. It was a great interview. And he got word that Justin Pearson was coming in next, who's one of his idols. So we were like, oh, do you want to co-host with Justin Pearson? I totally forgot about this story. And I love he's like, all right, I'm intimidated by him. But if he comes in and he's cool, I'll do it. If he doesn't, I'm bailing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) What a funny funny story. But Jeremy's like the all-time classic dude. So we, we touched on it. A little in the interview, but, you know, maybe a month or two ago, Jeremy texts me. He's like, oh, do you, you know, basically, like, do you want a record? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want a record. And it shows up and it's just this beautiful seven inch uh, with a flexi, a nice white flexi inside. The cover was like a beautiful die cut cover with Touche more written into it. And I'm like, this is why I love Jeremy. Like, he just he's like he's like got that soul of music that rob gordon nerd thing that i just appreciate so much and like and like i said in the interview as someone who grew up going to record shows and you know looking at like you know the guys who who take you know 60 crates of records to the basement of a holiday inn on saturday and sunday (laughs) you know what i mean this isn't a luxurious like fun life they're doing like they're going to people's garages in like Linden, New Jersey on a Thursday to buy some shit collection and then <laughs> have to fucking leaf through it for hours. And and it's and they don't do it. You know, they get some money enough to live. But th- there's like a they're like almost, you know, the they're monks. They're monks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're holding scrolls. They're like, yeah, they're like. <laughs> they're they're passing history on from one gen like when they do that it's more important than just like oh three ninety nine right right you know like it's more important than that it's it is like a handing over of something yeah and I love guys like Jeremy because he's just like fully in the spirit of that you know he he recognizes the 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 story that's being told from it and and the work that goes into it and the fact that every single piece of music you hold and every vinyl you hold is, is important and it's special. And it was somebody's probably life work, you know, Mm -hmm. and it deserves a place to go. I think it's cool as shit. So I truly respect the people like Jeremy who are keeping it alive. And he doesn't even wear those shitty silk shirts that John Cusack wears in high (laughs) fidelity. He's supposed to wear a monk outfit. I'll still never get that. <laughs> High Fidelity is one of the best movies I've ever seen. But whoever dressed John Cusack in that movie, <laughs> nope. There's a lesson there. and Get the appropriate uh, costume designer. It's just like when he shows up to Charlie Nicholson's house in that really baggy, like, silk shirt. I'm like, that's not a move a guy like Rob Gordon does. You know what I mean? He's not putting on his dress-up shirt to impress those people. He's going to go, like, the opposite, you know? He's going to wear like a hockey jersey trying to be like Robert Smith or like, you know, like, just, I right. don't know. I never, I never bought that aspect of the movie. That took it, that, that, that took you out of it a little bit. I mean, fuck, would you ever wear a baggy silk shirt? <laughs> but no, maybe, you know, maybe to a job interview. 
Yeah, maybe <laughs> 91 to a middle school dance tucked into my Cavarici Z's. What you maybe th- I would have done it then. Wait, are you saying I should send this shirt back? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I bet it's comfortable. Ah, uh, silk. Do you have silk pajamas? I don't wear pajamas. I used to have oh. a pair of silk black Crazy. silk. Oh, I guess I still do somewhere. With my initials on them, <laughs> BW, because my dear friend, owner of Blackout Records, Bill Wilson, got them for some like promotional thing and didn't want them and gave them to me. He's wow. like, we have this. We have the same initials. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, who can I give these pajamas to? I'll give them to Brad. So I never wore them, but I used to. You know, when I was single, I used to give them to girls that were coming over. Oh, like a present to come over to your yeah, house? Like, you know, if they needed to wear something around the house. <laughs> it was like, oh, I see. You I know, see. instead of you'd throwing on your, an old t shirt, I'm like, you'd give them your silk monochrome pajamas. silk boxers. Yeah. It was good classy. for you. That is. <laughs> or, my, or, the, or my white silk shirt with the puffy sleeves, either one, whatever was closest. Was this before or after you made them sign the NDA? Mm. <laughs> You go Derek Jeter style. <laughs> you walk in the front door, you sign an NDA. It's a clipboard. You walk on out the of the front door and you get a gift basket. It's a clipboard. <laughs> uh, they made me sign it. Oh. Anyway. We don't want to hear this. This has nothing to do with Jeremy. This is a long interview. Let's get into it. I want to hear it. Oh, wait. Oh, shit. (laughs) Okay, now we're recording. Brad, Brad, Brad. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You got me too. Turning into your engineer. We're going to have to stop cutting this 50-50. Benny, you got me all Jeremy, you just heard it. Going off track just went (laughs) 70-30 real quick. (laughs) You got me all lubed up with that tech talk, man. And, like, I lost my train of thought, you know? With the what? The TED talk? Tech. Oh, oh, tech talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of TED talk, I went on a wormhole last night watching a Carl Sagan YouTubes. Oh, wow. Ever done that? No, but I think I back it. I fully back it. You ever had a run in with that? I I certainly haven't, but what's, am I missing out? (laughs) I think so, yeah, because like, I don't know. I mean, I always remember like a copy of Cosmos on my bookshelf when I was a kid. I think my dad was into it. My father was a science teacher back in the 60s and 70s. He actually taught at the same high school that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went to high school. Um, Nice. And uh, so, I I mean, I just have a nerdy general interest in science, and I still follow, like, the, I guess, like, the teachers, you know, like the Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye. I like people like that who simplify science in a way that my, like, dumb brain can understand. And I didn't realize Carl Sagan kind of seemed like the first one to do that. He sort of was like packaging science in like a very user-friendly sort of way and kind of believed in like everything we believe in, which is cool. You too, Jeremy, because I know your politics. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, if you want to send me a link or two for what I should really just dive into. I will. Let me, uh. Yeah, please do. Please do. Wasn't that it's nice to hear? Yeah, it's nice to hear from you, Benny. It's been a minute. I have we haven't talked in a, in a minute, like officially talked. We've texted. I thought it was it. funny too that I booked this through your publicist, and we didn't <laughs> talk. And I was like, yeah. the whole time I'm like, I could just be hitting Jeremy up, but I'm going to keep this pro. You know, right? That's always an interesting thing. I, I I've 
I wrestle with that too, because you want to show that you're being professional and you're checking all your, you know, all all the boxes and you're not overstepping or making someone mad and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, you're like, you feel weird because you're like, this guy is someone that I can call a friend and I can just say, Hey, would you want to do this? So I, I deal with that myself on a lot of things. I get myself into trouble more often than not because of it. Yeah, I already have too. I've been yelled at by publicists already via booking going off track interviews. But you know what's <laughs> yeah, funny? It's brought me back to a place I haven't been in a long time, which is like, it feels like I'm like booking van tours again, which is kind of mm, fun because I'm like, yeah. I'm like restarting like my connections, you know, with like, I haven't had to know who anybody's fucking publicist was for like a really long time. You know, like I didn't care. Um, yeah. And and now I'm uh, in the interest of, uh, oh, I'd like to talk to this guy. How can I talk to this guy? And then I got to like try and get in touch with this person and this person. And I'm, I'm starting to get out of my my own well, you know, where like I can't just use my phone anymore. And I sure. <laughs> and I gotta yeah, no, it's, I, I'm dealing with that. I, I'm dealing with that at this exact very moment right now. Um, I started a podcast a couple months ago. I know. And... I was going to say thanks for that. <laughs> no, thanks for that. <laughs> we needed another one, Jeremy. That's good. I know. More musicians know. talking to other musicians. musicians yeah. No, see, that's where I'm. That's where I'm different. I'm right. trying to talk to. I'm talking to all sorts of people. So, oh, okay. like, okay. I, had a, I had like a cartoonist from the New Yorker on, and I there had you, go. you know. All right. Tomorrow, tomorrow, an episode with a tattoo artist Dan Smith goes up. So, oh, like, nice. all sorts. Of, that's cool. But like, but uh, but for instance, currently to to attribute it to what you were just discussing with booking the van tour thing is is I could I I understand what you're talking about because the feeling I'm having right now is the feeling that we all had when we booked DIY tours, which is I don't want to reach out to someone else right now to fill this spot because I think I'm going to get this one this week, (laughs) but I haven't heard yet. So I'm I'm down to the wire almost where if I don't do an episode by Thursday, I'm going to be shit out of luck next week. So it's like, I'm holding out hope this is going to work. Yeah. Like you don't want to confirm the Akron basement show while the Cleveland bar show is still on the line. It's Exactly, because yeah. I don't want to have to drive back four hours. You know, I got to keep going. I got to keep going east. I so, know. but it's fun. Exactly it brings it. me back to those days of like, I remember, you know, when I was just cold calling, booking tours, and opening your email. This is pre iPhone, so maybe people just open their email all night long now. I don't know, but you used to like open your email in the morning, and it was like, did you have a birthday present of a promoter somewhere actually answering you? And did they oh, actually God. even say yes? And it was like yeah. the best feeling when that would come. The best in. feeling. God. <laughs> Who's your yeah, biggest I score mean, so far for the podcast that made you feel uh, good like that? When, oh, what's the biggest score you said? Yeah, what was your biggest podcast score so far? Um, I got to interview the photographer Atiba Jefferson. Oh, um, cool. He's, yeah, he's he's a big skate photographer, but also like sports photographer and all that. And that for me was the most nerve wracking one so far because I don't know him personally. I, right. I met him in passing. I, I he came out and hung out with Turnstile when we did a, a tour of Turnstile, and seen him around once or twice since then. But it's always just like a, a high five. We don't we don't know each other personally, so um, I. I Brendan from Turnstile got us in touch and 
Um, he was super kind and down to do it, but you know, I went into it super nervous because, you know, he's got a big following and he's got a very big career. And, um, you know, we talked, we talked for an hour and I try to keep the shows to about 45 minutes or something like just sort of quick and quick to easy digest sort of a thing. But like the, uh, but like we talked so much that we didn't even get to like his NBA part of his life. So it's like, man, we, you know, it, it, it was hard to, it was hard to sort of do that. Cause if I'm talking to someone I know personally, it's easier to sort of comfortably rally them into like uh, talking about something else. And yes. I'm also still new at it. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was like, it was like, uh, yeah, I was loving the conversation, but I'm also, uh, you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't side eyeing the clock. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, and that's tough. A, yeah, it's tricky. That, it's a, it's a tough, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you, you both deal with that where like you're enjoying the conversation, but you're also in the back of your mind knowing that you need to take this somewhere else. And it's hard to sometimes segue when you also have a, other topics you want to talk, talk about as well as maybe a time limit. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I've had to learn. Benny's a bad clock watcher. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I've had to learn to kind of let, you know, like to let the hard to reach chips go. You know, to use a line sure. from clerks, like, like sometimes I'm looking at my notes and I see a question where I'm like, ah, it's a really strong question, but we're this far in the interview and it's got nothing to do with anything we've talked about. And kind mm. of the only reason to squeeze it in now is because I'm impressed with my own question and it's not really going to help <laughs> the interview. Um, yeah, this is, this is for me, not for you. Exactly. Yeah. So I've been trying to really like focus on that. What now what's your, um, like, do you have an intention with the podcast? And, and when you're interviewing, are you, are you specifically trying to get something out of somebody or get to a certain point? Like, is there an intention to the whole thing? Um, yeah, I, I, so it's called the first ever podcast. And I know this, it's not necessarily the most groundbreaking reinventing the wheel sort of concept, but you know, a lot of us like to talk about the early days with, with certain artists. And for me, instead of just focusing on like, uh, the obvious early days stuff of of um you know like uh where were you born type stuff it's <laughs> right, more right. so it's more so like all about just the first experiences so it's like what was you know if i'm talking to um it, you know of of just for you know easy conversation a musician you know like well as a guitar player it's like you know well what was the first song that uh you found yourself falling in love with and what was the first guitar you got mm. what was the first song you learned how to play on that guitar what was your first band what was your first tour what oh, was fun. your first recording experience yeah you know and and but i try to do it in a way that's that's conversational right. and that's that's also me getting my footing on it because you know i'm still new i've been on enough podcasts but i haven't hosted enough so like there's that level of sort of um anxiety that i get the nervous sort of energy where where i'm not only self-conscious about how i'm talking but also like how i sound and all this sort of stuff so like you know it's it's that sort of like you know it's it's good for me because it's i'm wrestling with things that um are out of my comfort zone but i'm also doing it with people that i respect which is which is kind of an interesting way to to approach it but uh yeah like i try to keep it more conversational instead of just like here's a question that's the answer next question that's the answer you know i try to work them in um, as we're going, but it's been a lot of fun. I, I really, really enjoy it. And I think that you've, I have to imagine you've experienced this more than enough times where 
what I really like is that even if I'm interviewing, like I interviewed the guitar player in my band, Nick, like, <laughs> right. you know, he's done all of the art. For, he's a graphic design artist by trade. You know what I'm sure, saying? Like sure. he's, uh, he's done some of the hugest records in pop music of the last 20 years. So like he's, he's got a very interesting career, but I don't know a lot of the stuff that right. came with his experiences with that. So it's like, it, I like the idea of talking to people that I know so I think I know so goddamn well, but I, it turns out I, there's still a lot to learn and that's what I'm really enjoying from it. Yeah. That's interesting. I guess even someone in your band or, you know, you can hold a, a sort of casual, you know, relationship with in a way, even though everything around it's so intimate, it's almost, you know, like that, uh, that thing you have to reconcile with when, when you tour so much and, you know, like, you know, you ever get off a tour and you, you were just like, in the same clubs with the same people for five weeks and it feels so intimate and everyone says, I love you and you're hugging and doing this at the end. And then like walk away and realize like 95% of the people you just did that with, like don't really know anything about you, you know, besides oh, yeah, like what no. you've said in an interview or what you said, like publicly, you know, all that, that kind of surface thing. And yeah, totally. interviews uh, provide a, a cool forum to kind of dig in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know that it'd be something that I would put on the air because he's he's n not an artist by any means. But um, you know, I I my my folks were divorced uh, before I was even born. So like the I've always thought about sitting down with my dad wow, and yeah. interviewing my dad because you know he was he's always been in my life and we have a great relationship but I don't really know him, you know, <laughs> like I, I know him as the really sweet, helpful guy that, you know, came by on Wednesdays and Saturdays and got us pizza and Nintendo games and right. was always nice. But like, uh, as, as we're getting older, he's letting some stories come out just about cool stuff in his life. And it's mm. blowing my mind. And I'm like, God, there's so much I don't know about uh, you. What, what's like, a what's, what's some, some kind of dinger that you've heard recently that you're just like, Whoa, seriously. Um, so I've always known that my great grandfather, uh, was a very famous ballet dancer in oh, Russia. Wow. wow. Yeah. Same um, last name, Bolm, or, or is that a, a Russian same last name. Okay. Same last name. Cool. Not, not the most favorable, favorable first name. His name is Adolf Bolm. <laughs> hey, well, you know, yeah. Come on. It's fine. Sure. Uh, it was a yeah different time. Yeah, um, way but, after, you know, how the fuck was he supposed to know? It's fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he, uh, yeah, he he had he led a very uh, wild life. Move um, moved to the states uh, after some political turmoil, and then um, my grandfather uh, was very in the entertainment industry. My dad told me a story once where they were getting off a plane at at uh, LAX here. And a private plane had just landed, and Bob Hope ah, got off the got okay. off the plane. Yeah. And then my dad and my dad and uh, his sisters were like, "Oh my God, it's Bob Hope!" And then Bob Hope saw my grandfather and was and was like, "Olaf!" And like they went <laughs> up and gave each other a hug. Wow! And and they were and my dad was like, "Huh?" <laughs> and because my my grandfather was in the entertainment industry, but like I don't think he was very open with his how you know much right he didn't bring it home exactly so like yeah. and he was a very hard man a very not nice person so like you know if if my dad got anything out of him it was probably more aggression than 
mm. than like, hey, I had a really interesting day at work today. You know what I'm saying? Right, so, right, yeah. so yeah, it was, you know, hearing that story, I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool. Yeah, you know, connected. so. Wait, Jeremy, Adolf, Olaf. <laughs> And Jeremy, come on, dude, weak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad, my dad got my dad got Anthony, so oh, okay. I, he was the, he was he was on his way. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, but uh, and what about yeah, what about something in like his life that that you weren't you weren't anticipating? Um, so I knew he he was always uh, sort of like a California cowboy in the way that like he worked on he worked on ranches and stuff oh, okay. in Southern California. And uh, yeah. but he told me a story recently where. Uh, for going out to, um, basically like, uh, I don't know that it would be, I guess it would be races, but, um, where there's, it's funny where sound and fury was a couple of years ago, um, out in Santa Barbara, that okay. same location would have, uh, would have like these horse shows basically. And my dad would have to drive two horses at a time from the Valley to Santa Barbara, which is like a two hour trek at least. And go and like have to drop six horses off. So we'd have to go back and forth like three times in a day, do the horse show and then drive them back two at a time. So he would just be out all, all nights. And, and at one time he, he was driving a, uh, a truck that had, I think he said something like six or seven horses in it that were all like multi, multi thousand dollar worth horses. And on the way down, like during a downgrade, the brakes went out. (gasps) And he was like, if this crashes, oh my God. Not only <laughs> am I at risk of dying, sure, but so much money yeah. is, is going out with these horses. Like yeah. obviously a horse dying is, is terrible and tragic. And, and who knows capacity, whose money? Cause that's like, exactly, that's some Saudi prince money and shit that goes it, in the horses. Yeah, exactly. 100%. So he, he was like, you know, he told me the story he was having to like, he had to very quickly learn how to like get the, the trailer to stop using the trailer brakes and, oh, and he no. was like, man, you could see the sweat stains oh, Jesus. from like, from my, you know, my shoulder down to yeah, my, yeah, you know, yeah, my yeah. belt. Oh. That when that, when I, when we survived it and we were okay, but I was like putting my, he was like, yeah, I, you know, from then on going down any, any hill, I can't help but have that PTSD of going back to that moment. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh my God. So did he rock it? Do you think he rocked the 10 gallon hat? I've seen some. I've seen some photos. Yeah, yeah. I've seen some photos. Yeah, oh, yeah. He was. Uh, yeah, definitely. See, he, I love uh, this. But it's this explains but, so much, Jeremy. This is where you know you got a lot of gusto. This is this is where it came from. Maybe I don't know. Um, but then he, you know he ended up he ended up uh, just like his dad getting in the entertainment industry, and he's worked in post production and Burbank and uh-huh. Hollywood since I was a child, and he still does, and he works like, like video production or. Uh, he's yeah he works in um he's so i worked in post-production i was following you know my brother does like it's just like if you're if you're from burbank it there's a good chance your <laughs> your life is somehow attached sure, to it yeah, so yeah so he's he works in he's like a scheduler basically so what that means is is he has clients uh you know whether it's disney or, or whomever who'd come to him and say hey we need to get for you know this show edited we need to get these subtitles on we need to get the show the audio mixed or whatever. And okay. then he takes it to the tech person who then is going to do the work. So it's, it's him scheduling the time for like the, you know, the, the engineers basically to, to do the thing. Um, but it's funny when I worked in post-production, I worked in the vault. I had the very, you know, the, the, the most grunt work job possible, um, which was just basically delivering tapes to Fox and all these different things. Okay. The company I worked for did 
captions. So the actual physical it. tape you were delivering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this was uh, this was in the mid two thousands. So there was still ac- it was like still actually right. dropping off like a, a a tape. It wasn't just like uploading a file to a server. Out <laughs> right, in the, right. You know. Yeah. So so I was having to like every day. Uh, you know, my stress was all right, we're going to launch you into LA traffic and you need to drop off these episodes to Fox, which is actually in the Nakatomi Plaza building from Die Hard. Um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, so you need to go drop these tapes off um, and they need to be there by this time because if not, it's going to miss the feed and then that you're going to be fined, ex- your company's going to be fined $60,000 or something like that. So And Carl Winslow uh, from Family Matters stopped here <laughs> on the way in. Yeah, he's going to pull me over. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, that was that was a part of my, uh, that, that was how I started that company. But I, I ended up moving myself up to becoming like the vault manager in like two years or something. Okay. And so I got taken off the road and just did all the stuff inside. But, you know, I had the president cool. of the company basically come up to me and be like, we want to move you into, there's a point to the story, I promise. No, so please, he's like, please. He's like, we want to move you into a different department here. And, you know, you'd have to train for it. So the two different options are, do you want to become a tape op and, you know, learn how to be a tape op, which would set me in a direction to have a career in my life? You know, I'd learn all these different things and that would be that. Or do you want to train to be a scheduler, which is what my father does? And I was like, the vault is the safe space. So the vault is where the tape ops come in to talk shit on the schedulers. The schedulers come in to talk shit on the tape vault people. No one is happy. Yeah, Everyone is miserable because the scheduler overbooked this tape op. The tape op can't stand the schedulers attitude with this stuff. So I'm getting both the worst sides of the jobs. It's like entertainment middle management. Like, yeah. Yeah. So when, so when they're like, what would you like to train for? I said, I think I'm good where I'm at. And I just said no. And, and I ended up leaving that job not, not too long after. Um, just cause I was like, you know, I look at my dad, my dad is, you know, old now, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's, I think he's 70 now and, and he still works, you know, he still gets, he still goes into work at five in the morning and comes home at, you know, 11 p.m. sometimes sometimes yeah. he stays overnight wow, you know wow. he's like it's a very demanding job and you know he jokes he's like you know when i drop dead make sure i do it at work so you know we get a bigger life insurance <laughs> payout <laughs> um yeah he's like he's he's the most workaholic person on earth on earth and i've seen how it's you know taken its toll on on sure. him and it just it doesn't look like a future i want and then um you know i can work a straight job and and do the, do the thing but i'm never gonna not want to you know not to call myself an artist but i I, you know i never i would never want to not be a musician or or make things you know i i enjoy that too much so it would just take it would just take up my life and i i was just wasn't prepared for that you know yeah yeah i think it's pretty safe to call yourself an artist jeremy with your line of work and everything you do and that beautiful album you just sent me the seven inch with the beautiful die cut cover That was so awesome. Thank you so much for sending it. I was so happy to just even get a record in the mail randomly anyway, but then to get such a beautiful record in there. Now, you are a one of the biggest record enthusiasts I know. Um, I have a couple friends who are, you know, the proper record store nerds and set up at record shows just like you. But, Mm -hmm. like, what is it like... What is it that just draws you to it? I, I mean, like, 
I know you find a very kind of romantic quality in the whole thing. And, and I'm just curious what, what really draws you to albums like that or, or records in particular. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of what you just said. Like it, it's, it's the romance that's involved in it. I like is for, you know, for lack of a better thing, like a thing to say, like, I like holding the thing. I like having right. the, 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 the product in my hand because I think even more so now that I've been doing this band for as long as I have. And, and are you, I forget, are you much of, are you, do you care? Are you like a big vinyl guy or not really? Oh yeah. I have like probably 2000 records, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not. Oh no, I I come from a deep, deep vinyl fam. My mom was a, a collector and she was actually in the queen fan club. And was a, an nice. official queenie who used to pen pal <laughs> with other queen fans from around America. And when I was like so cool. 10, we drove her to Cincinnati, Ohio for like a queen convention in like the basement of a hotel to collect. You know, my mom passed wow. away years ago as well. And I have all of her records. So I have, you know, oh, wow. maybe a good, you know, two and a half feet of queen in my, in my show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, and I'm talking Goldmine magazine used to come to my house and so full on, I I love records. So I'm asking for a a very, a very internal place for sure. So what I was going to say was, you know, since I, I always loved records before I was lucky enough to, to put out my own, but like, now that I've put out my own, I know how much work goes into it. Right. You know, like yeah. how much, how much work goes into the physical product, you know? And we, we, we might pour ourselves into it more than some other bands, but like the, the amount of work that, um, Nick in my, in who plays in my band, who's, yeah. who's done all of our graphic design, um, between, between he and I, that how much work goes into it, him definitely more than me. But, um, so, every record I get in the mail or I buy in a store, like I have that sort of engraved in the back of my mind. And to me, I would rather own a record that I think is just pretty good than just only stream that record. Yeah. Sure. Um, because even if the record's just pretty good, I feel like I'm at least more invested in what they were trying to give us yeah, yeah, than, yeah. than just, uh, you know, I think we're all guilty of of a new record comes out from some band maybe you've never heard of, and you go on Spotify and you like you know sort of skim through, jump around on the record a little bit, be yeah. like, "What does this sound? You know, does this sound like something I'm interested in?" And Give if me a few sound, choruses, and I'll yeah. make my determination. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's That's not fair. Me, and I do my, I come do on, my we're best. Getting older, to, we don't have that much time, Jeremy. Sure, yeah, uh, <laughs> but like. I do my best not to completely judge that band based or that artist based on that right. quick skim. Yeah, yeah, right. It's more so me just being like, what does this sound like? Does it sound like something I want to, I want to invest in? And if but you're it's, not ruling them out, I'm not ruling them out. And then I, if I see that record in a store, um, especially secondhand, I'm more than likely going to pick it up just because, oh, cool. you know, I, I just want to give it the attention it it is asking for. But you also sometimes kind of hear stuff and you're like, I feel like they didn't care that much. And that's where I'm, that's where I'm not going to get it. Yeah. (laughs) Are you you just offended when you see like the straight up, just record sleeve, straight copy of whatever the cover was, no insert, 
regular shit vinyl? Are you just like, why should I even buy this? <laughs> um, it's circumstantial. So if it's <laughs> if it's like a, a young punk band, of course that's what it's going to be. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? Right, like right. like sure. like it, like money is a money is a real is a real thing. So like yeah, you know, or even just you know old like fucking prank records uh records you know what i'm saying like yeah but the photocopy machine was crank records best friend like even (laughs) when those records came and they looked like shit you still had like you know like a newspaper's worth of bullshit like stuffed into it you know yeah yeah (laughs) and that's and that's i'm cool with that you know even just you know whatever black vinyl it's totally fine and and i get that and i'm and i'm all for that but but i get more offended way more offended okay by by the um major label reissue of a record that everybody has always wanted for years and then it arrives with like you know no no sleeve or like not shrink wrapped right. no yeah. insert yeah uh, thin vinyl shipped, shipped thin vinyl and it, and then in, when you see it in stores it's 35.99 yeah, right that's that's where i'm mad that's where I'm like, yo, fuck you. You're the reason why the, you know, vinyl crested a few years ago. Right. You know, yeah. we, we're all burnt. You know, <laughs> that, that's, that's where I get mad. That's where I get big mad. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. But you're right. It, it's funny to think. I, I've thought about that recently. How like if a band even gets from, you know, from the basement or garage to a record, there is someone in that band who is extremely functional and who really knows how to get shit done. Right. Like, it doesn't even <laughs> exist if that person doesn't exist, right? So true. It, it's like there is, you're right, behind every one of these things, there's there's almost, there's somebody's maximum effort. And and that, yes. that is very much worth at least a listen and, and at least not disrespect. You know, you don't have to right. respect it if it's bad. But yeah, you're right. You're not. Not to name names at all, it never would. But no, do but it. No, it's do always it. fascinating. You're too nice, it's always fascinating. You're too nice. Get into it. What's fascinating to me is when you know a band has that member, the 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 go to. I I usually call them the ambassador to normal. You know, we're like <laughs> right, right, right. You know, the one member in the band that you know you can t- have yeah. a normal conversation yeah, 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 with. They're approachable. Yes. And then that person leaves or gets kicked out or quits. <laughs> oh, You're just like, done. oh my God, what is the future of that yeah, band? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like a sports team. It's like when you, when it loses its leader, you know, there's a vacuum, there's a leadership vacuum. And if it doesn't get filled, like there's so few bands who can just operate as these, these crazy democracies, you know, uh, the only one I know personally that can pull it off somehow is the Menzingers. Like they're mm. the only band that I look at and I'm like, I don't know who's the boss. Ah. <laughs> you know, I don't it like, like, yeah. like it's, it's a very, they're the only band that's not Canadian. That's been able to pull that off. <laughs> you oh, know? how funny. Um, oh, how funny. Yeah. I, that's, that's a really funny example. Yeah. They're all uh, in the touche van. We had uh, a, a joke that still is alive way after the tour that this, we toured with them in 2011 okay and the joke is who's your favorite zinger oh. because Ugh. it's an impossible what game you do? Yeah, you can't you, do that you can't do that no. they're all so wonderful in their own way yeah. and you know it might depend on the day be like you know what today i think greg's my favorite yeah it depends <laughs> you know, what like, you need it depends what you yeah. need they're all there for something yeah yeah exactly uh, i adore the adore those those guys heavily 
Well, this goes perfectly into a new segment here on Going Off Track that I think Brad thought I was kidding, <laughs> but it's actually happening. Because no. <laughs> one of the biggest alien enthusiasts I know is Tom May of the Menzingers, who is a deep, deep, not conspiracy theorist, but he likes to get to the other side. And we've had okay. many conversations about aliens, and he is a true believer in alien life forms. Now, Jeremy, where do you land on the existence of aliens? Are they already here on Earth? Are they in the universe? Do they not exist at all? Before I answer this, okay, <laughs> I would like to say thank you because I've been doing press for the new record for <laughs> a long time now. And I've been answering a lot of the same questions. Sure. I have now just been given something new to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're so, 30 minutes in. I haven't even mentioned lament. I was going to, I was going to get to the end here. Yeah. And just piss that's, off that's your totally, publicist. That's, that's totally, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, Michelle I'm, Stevens. I know we just met on email, but <laughs> this is the direction I'm going. <laughs> there's a reason we're so, called going off track and yeah. not. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. No, it's, yeah, there's, as soon as that question was coming out, I was like, oh, even though I don't really have a whole lot to say about this, this is a question that I'm just like, this is nice. Um, yeah, no. So uh, I I believe in aliens. Yeah, cool. absolutely. I, I, I totally do. I, you know, I think, uh, well, there's a kajillion things uh, that have made this world terrible because of the current administration. Yeah. But I think the, the, the most... No, I don't even want to say the most shocking. There's no, that's, I think, I think an interesting <laughs> thing is that yeah. uh, all of this crazy alien stuff is coming out and it just doesn't even yeah. fucking yeah. register. <laughs> it's anybody. crazy, if isn't was, it? If this was 2000 fucking 10, everybody would, there, there would be, yeah. um, you know how there's like earthquake, yeah. there would be earthquake, you know how there's like earthquake preparedness kits? <laughs> There would definitely be alien preparedness kits going oh, yeah, on right now. For like, sure. For sure. 100%. Roll a tin foil. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every channel, every channel, every, you know, <laughs> TBS, uh, AMC, they'd all just be cramming signs and uh, aliens and, and Independence Day just down our throats. <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, those days are gone. Men in black. <laughs> yeah, those days are gone. Um, so, so now it feels more like the government trying to distract us, uh, with, with some like happy or exciting news, uh, right, because yeah. this, you know, um, but yeah, it's an ex, I mean, it's thrilling. I mean, hearing that, um, what is it, Venus is yeah. showing potential signs of yeah, life. The clouds of Venus have, have yeah. some, some, uh, well, apparently the, the chemical they're finding on Venus. Uh, has only been used on Earth as a fumigant and also a chemical weapon during World War One, and it smells. It, let me try to remember. It, it was like the dirty diaper of the spawn of Satan <laughs> is the way that one of the scientists described the way it smells. I'm Ooh. glad I remembered that because that was awesome. Oh my god! Yeah, I'd wow. like to repeat that. You could use it as a song name. I've the dirty diaper. Of the spawn of Satan. I'm like, oh my god, that must smell good. Uh, but yeah, they do say that Venus apparently um, had a Earth-like quality a long time ago, and a long time ago suffered its own greenhouse situation, which left the surface uninhabitable, but left a lot of uh, things that, that appear on Earth and have that type of uh, quality right there in the clouds of Venus. That might be our next stop, Jeremy. 
Now, it's been a minute since I've thought about planets. Um, yeah. How, how is Venus so far out of our, our way that it's like impossible for us to visit? Because obviously Mars has always been the talked about next destination. Like how... How impossible are we talking with visiting? I feel, I feel Venus? like Venus is next. No, it's pretty close. close closest after Mars, maybe. Yeah, it's um, oh. actually the one prior to us. So there's the Sun, Mercury, Venus, then Earth, then Mars. So it's on the other side. Mm. It's like mm. uh, if you're in Ohio, Mars is New Jersey, and Venus is California. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to put it in touring terms. <laughs> interesting yeah yeah Yeah. so warmed by the sun you know i i I believe they said that the the actual surface is about 800 degrees fahrenheit so i don't think we could hang out there Mm. Mm. okay but maybe soon but so i mean how does anything hang out there so you know it's funny i feel like the i feel like uh reporting on it does a really good job of saying like there's life on Mars, you know, because yeah. I, I think it makes no. everyone instantly think like there's humans, but like life on Mars could mean that there's some, you know, weird well, fucking plant that's and growing they, there. Yeah, they also can't confirm it. So all they see is a a chemical or something acting the same way as this. Oh, phosphine is what it's called. And mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's and it's whatever's up there is acting the same exact way as phosphine. But they can't confirm it because you can't send a human probe into 800 degrees because we don't know how to do that. So, yeah. I mean, <laughs> We're sure going to try, though. Yeah. Oh, we, <laughs> and we should at this point. I mean, actually, come, come to loop around on the Carl Sagan thing we started on. That's what he was talking about yesterday. He was talking about basically the cost analysis that it makes a lot more sense to have outposts for humanity off the earth than trying to fix the earth. He says it's basically a lot cheaper to basically take us somewhere else than to try to fix the environment we already ruined. So, you know, I think it's worth huh. looking into. Sure. Maybe Elon um, Musk is up, up, you know, maybe he's going to figure it out. California certainly looked like Mars. Oh, uh, yeah. So you were in, you, you've been in the, the thick of the, the smoke and the fires recently, huh? Uh, that, well, yeah, yes and no. Uh, the day that it turned 114 in California or 116, um, in in where I live, uh, I was lucky enough to, uh, have left on a little vacation. I went to Alaska with my, uh, now fiance as of that trip. Yes. Congratulations. Um, I saw your social media. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so we we got out of town uh, when uh, okay. when the heat came up, and then while we were there is when the fires really kicked in, oh, and wow. then and then uh, you know there was the nervousness of of like is our flights going to be canceled because we're going to be flying over fires because we've experienced that in the past and, and blah blah blah. But um, yeah, they're still they're still pretty close by uh, by here. The, it's it's weird. It's that time now where. I can, we can no longer tell if it still smells really bad like smoke outside or if we're just used to it. Mm, um, wow. The sun, is, I mean, it's not as red. It's certainly not red anymore. Um, so heavy. It was crazy that like the, the smoke was reaching as far as Europe. Did you guys see any, anything like that in, on the East Coast? I, I didn't visibly see it. I couldn't tell from anywhere hmm. I was. No. No. But I did okay. hear like reports of, of that changing basically globally in a way. It was really crazy. Yeah. 
is yeah. really, really crazy. But uh, yeah, it's it's quite tragic and and um and <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been a it's it's been a, it's been a few weeks here. It's certainly oh, been a few. You weeks. You and your fiance get to work. Just do me a favor and don't have a gender reveal, okay? <laughs> no, it's, yeah. So. <laughs> what um what was Alaska like? Oh my God, it was it was uh it was great. There was some there was some very exciting moments of it. Uh, the obvious, for example, but like the uh, but there's also some um, some uh oh moments where. Um, so what? I'll, I'll keep it, you know, not too lengthy here. But the um, the I saw some friends. You know, we're we're all sort of living vicariously through other people's feeds, obviously, especially right. now more so than ever. So mm-hmm. um, I've been so seeing a lot of friends that have taken trips to Wyoming because it's so empty and mm-hmm. beautiful there, and it's just like it feels like a place that's worth traveling to now if you need to get out of your house and you have the ability. Is that um, like a COVID thing? Like people start going yeah, out yeah. there during that's, okay. a, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, like, uh, yeah. like the cases there are really low. Um, right, right, and it's yeah. so spread apart to where like you can kind of find your own adventure away sure, from people. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, it's also an inexpensive place to travel to. So that's, that's one thing. And then I also saw some friends had been up in Alaska. So I was just sitting on my couch and I was like, man, how impossible is it to go to Alaska? Cause that's like the, you know, other than Hawaii, it's like the one place in the United States that you can travel to that doesn't feel like the United States because yeah. we can't go anywhere else. Right. So, right. so I looked up tickets and I was like, it was like $200 round trip Whoa. from LA. And I was like, I, we have to do this. So, um, you know, I, so I sort of figured it out, whatever. Uh, so we got tickets like a few, a few weeks in, uh, in advance. And then, um, Obviously, I had to figure out getting the ring and all that sort of stuff. So that was a whole other fun thing. But um, the but this was the this was the bad part, which which was bad on us, which was a real rough way to start the trip. Which was uh, obviously, you know, a lot of people had asking us, their friends, you know, how was traveling and flying and all that. It was it wasn't too bad. LAX uh, for those who've had to go there, uh, it was pretty empty, which is a beautiful blessing in disguise because mm. it's arguably one of the worst airports yeah, in the world. Sure. Yeah. Hey, we're from New so, York, dude. Don't even yeah, try. Yeah. Do not even fucking try, <laughs> motherfucker. I get off planes in LAX and I'm in a rental car in 15 minutes. <laughs> Don't even. Oh, my God. You're talking to the I, wrong sure. person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, JFK is... is, is JFK, LaGuardia. Come on. Uh, they're all a yeah, fresh hell to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But we'll I like when you... people try to say LaGuardia is like so much easier. I'm like, are you fucking nuts? <laughs> <laughs> LaGuardia is easier, but you have to take a train, a two trip. subways, yeah. and a crosstown bus to fucking get there. That's the problem. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, uh, but no, like we have a layover. In, so we have a layover in Seattle, and then we hear as we're on our layover, them say, um, "And just a reminder to have your negative COVID results uh, oh, no. uh, available upon landing, mm. um, and you need to have had these uh, tests done within the last seventy-two hours." There was no like information oh, no. given to us. Like, like, like there was no heads up Holy on that. Holy shit. So we're looking at each other being like, oh shit, what is this going to mean? So, um, and what does this mean for the future of our trip? Everything, you know, I have a ring in my backpack as I'm thinking about this. So it was like, uh, so like, oh, don't worry. When you land, you can get to, you can, if you don't have your results, you can get tested at the airport. It's going to be $250 a person. <laughs> Oh, what a fucking scam! Is it like yep, Frontier Airlines presents COVID <laughs> testing, and and uh, oh. and 
And then, uh, and they're like, and then, you know, we're going to need you to quarantine until you get your results. Your results, your results should come within five days. Oh, it's like, my oh God. my God. So where do you quarantine? So and like, a hotel? So I'm, pan- All right. I'm yeah. panicking, you know, cause we have like a whole week's worth of stuff booked. Yeah. And, and we get tested very regularly and we, you know, we're very careful, but, uh, it was, uh, it was very stressful. So we, you know, we landed, got the, got to pay for the test and we you know the whole time the, yo that was a two-hour flight from seattle to anchorage and the whole time i'm panicking i'm thinking yeah, like right. are they gonna let us check into our hotel are they gonna let us rent a car without showing these results like what's gonna happen yeah and you have this whole plan in place oh god yeah and yeah. thankfully anchorage is a red state so as soon as we uh got the test, <laughs> they're like, like welcome have a nice time <laughs> have a, enjoy your trip you know like, they, like right. no one gave a shit no one checked in on us no one whatever you know we were still extremely careful but mm. you, know, I, you know it was it was a very uh it was it was a rough thing also um here in the it's the same company that does all the tests here in the in uh, california which is curative like la curative and up there it's alaska curative or whatever okay. so like here in la i'm you know i'm getting a test in 12 30 uh they it's just like you drive up to dodger stadium you, you self-administer a, a, t- a swab mouth test and and then you get your results by 9 a.m in the morning it's like oh, wow. so quick um, but there it was also curative, but it was a self-administered nose test. What? Oh, Can you what? even do that? And, and with like, in, uh, in, in the, the, the woman who is, uh, just staring at, you know, like I had to sit at a table and she just watches me do it. Um, I don't know. Do either of you have, you ever, I've had, you guys a, I've had the, I've had an aggressive nose swabbing test. Like that was somebody who got, my wife has had, had it tw- twice and she was like, that one was overly aggressive. Like, oh, it was a brain poker. Oh, oh god. Yeah. So, so do, do either of you wear contacts, or have you ever worn contact lenses? I have. Yeah, I haven't. Okay. Do you remember the first time at the optometrist where you had to put in your contact <laughs> lenses in front of them? Yeah, impossible. And just and just so stressful, and you've got this person staring at you as you're yeah. like about to touch your eye for the first yeah. time. All that shit. Yeah, that's how I felt. Uh, I'm just like this woman staring daggers at me as I'm oh like, no. uh, like you know, uh, my le- my left nostril just had a big ass booger in it, so like I definitely didn't go very deep on that one, and she just didn't give a shit. I just but you know, how, I did it. And I, how would she know if you went like far enough in? Again, it, it it felt like a racket. It yeah, really did. it's a total racket. Yeah. You're just going to get all fucking negative tests because nobody's going to poke their brain, man. Yeah, a one hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, it's, and then you know, like I said, it's crazy. It was the same company, you know, here in California. We get it, you know, like I said, like within twenty four hours. But there, it genuinely took five days. So like crazy. we didn't, and it was just like it's just like the illusion if, of of science, the illusion of safety. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so thankfully. Well, I, mean, I guess it back. worked out well for you that you landed in a red state for once. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I have one friend who lives there because he was kind enough to book Touche. We we got to play Anchorage a couple of years ago, and uh, and I was talking to him about it. I was like, you know, how fucked am I? Like, can you give me your address to like put on like the thing here so like they don't see that it's a hotel we're staying at? And you know, like I was thinking like a DIY punk kid right, trying yeah, to right. break. Yeah, I can sneak around. And and uh, and, uh, and he was like, well. You are flying into a red state, so you know we we joke that masks are uh, are suggested. So you know it's. it's <laughs> I was surprised though. You know, I got to be honest. Like Anchorage was, or Alaska in general was, 
certainly more uh, thought out than Los Angeles or, or anywhere else I've been in Southern California right? where they actually do the contact tracing. Like any, oh, wow. any business you sit down at or you get a coffee at or whatever, they have you uh, write down your contact information in case someone does oh. test positive and they have to find out who brought it. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, I was impressed. I was very impressed by that. There you go, Alaska. So you got to tell us, uh, how, did you, how did you do it? Yeah. Um, so... The whole trip was predicated for me on the Northern Lights, the uh, Aurora Borealis, the mm. hopes to see that. So um, the whole time I'm just panicking, looking at, you know, I have apps downloaded. I, I'm learning all about how this shit works. And as it, you know, you can see them up in Fairbanks. So, we, you know, the, towards the end of the trip, I have Fairbanks as like the end part. And, uh, and I'm looking at the weather being like, shit. It's yeah, you need perfectly raining. clear, right? Yeah, it has to be perfectly clear. And all of a sudden, there's just this storm coming in. And I'm like, this is not going to work. And, you know, while we're on this trip, we're having so many, like, beautiful, you know, cinematic moments of, like, these big glacier hikes that we're doing. And there's so many moments where I have the ring in my pocket. I'm like, I should just do it now. But (laughs) I'm holding out hope for this Aurora goddamn Borealis. And, and, uh, (laughs) And as it's getting closer, it's just not looking good. And I'm and I'm having moments where, like, you know, my palms are sweating, and I'm like, I, I just, nah, I know, hold, hold out, you know. And uh, so we get up to Fairbanks, and um, no disrespect to the listeners in Fairbanks, but let me tell you, when we got up there, I was like, oh, this is like Fresno. It <laughs> felt like it was, it, and no disrespect to Fresno, sorry, but like it was, it it was not like the most exciting town like sure. we pulled in and i remember googling like things to do in fairbanks and like the number one thing was visit the automotive museum <laughs> i was like oh <laughs> okay. shit and all, all the hiking trails were closed uh, for for weather that was coming in and i was like fuck like what are we gonna do um thankfully the like the airbnb we got was like 20 miles outside of town and it was really cute um, in a really nice place to stay and we kind of found our own adventures but then you know i'm like you took your girl to fresno yeah, I'm like, what am I going to do? This is so stressful. And the only friend that I have that knows that I'm going to be do it is my buddy John Simmons, uh, singer of ba- uh, Balance and Composure, who uh, who's house sitting for us and dog watching for oh, us. Okay. So like, he's the only friend that I've told because I was like, thank you for accepting the 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 job of of watching our house and our dogs, our dog. But but also, let me tell you why it's really important that you do this. <laughs> right? Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was the weight into it. Yeah. 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 So he was like, you know, texting me often, being like, "Yo, what's the story? When are you gonna do it?" Did so, do it? yeah. Uh, he was like my hype man. So you know, it was like our second day in Fairbanks, and we only were there for another day and a half. And uh, it's like I got to do it today. And um, so we're driving around looking for adventure, something, something to do. And I see off the highway that there's a town called uh, the North Pole. Oh. And I look into it, and it's a year-round Christmas town. And I was like, that's pretty magical. Yeah, and and um, my, uh, my now, it's so funny to say it, my fiance, uh, Ashley, is the, is the only person who comes in competition with uh, my late mom as big Christmas fan. Just oh, like okay. a horrible Christmas fanatic. So, uh, so we went there and, and then it's, you know, we pulled into this place called like Santa Claus house, which had like a, you know, 40 foot tall fucking yes. Santa, scary Santa in the front. <laughs> and like, but I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, is it weird to propose it in front of a store? Like, I don't know if this is it. <laughs> so I'm just panicking. My stomach's turning. I'm, I'm, I'm hopped up on like three coffees. I'm just like out of my mind. 
And, uh, and I was like, ah, and you know, I'm so nervous. And, um, I didn't do it there. And I looked at the, I looked at the, uh, I looked at the map and I saw that there was like a lake just a couple miles up, still in the town of the North Pole. Went there. It was totally empty. It was absolutely gorgeous. So I was like, nice. here, here it is. So right. dropped to a knee and it was very sweet. It was very, awesome. very exciting. So yeah. Santa's lake, Santa's private lake. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was, it was said, a very, yes, and here you are. Good for you. And here, man. and here I am. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, it was a very exciting, very exciting thing. It was a, uh, yeah. I'm thrilled. That's totally thrilled. So you never got to see the Northern Lights? Never got to see them. Oh, never bummer, man. You know, it's funny. It reminded me of, um, I've, so I've, I've, you, Benny, you're, you're, you're a touring person. Um, Lay it on me. How little of the U.S. have you, have you, how, like, how little of, like, the landmarks in the U.S. have you actually seen? Or, or better question, how many, how, how many have you actually seen? Like what? Like the the great landmarks of the U.S. Yeah, because of touring. Because of touring, very few. Exactly. Very right. Few. Exactly. Yeah. Like everyone, everyone, all the all the normals in our life, all the civilians that that, that you know think that all our lives are is just traveling, seeing yeah. the world, yeah, 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 experiencing yeah. all this, not realizing that like our job is just waiting. <laughs> yeah, just, they're like you realize the the closest place to play from Mount Rushmore is about twenty four hours away. One hundred percent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the question exactly. is, what ones have you seen? I mean, I used to tour a lot. I don't think I can't think of one. I mean, maybe we drove around the St. Louis Arch on the way to the fucking venue, right? Yeah, like, I've done the arches with a band. I've done Stonehenge with a band. Oh, mm-hmm. Stonehenge! Uh, I forced Gaslight to go to the Grand Canyon once, and a couple people were pretty pissed. <laughs> that's um, that's what I'm getting at. So my brother and I, when we because we'd never seen, I've never seen the Grand Canyon. I live in California; it's not even that fucking far away. Yeah. And and I just never seen it. Just never had the opportunity because if you're touring in the U.S., there's no route that's taking you near there unless you're going out of your way, as you just mentioned. Like if you're playing Flagstaff, it's like an hour or two north of Flagstaff or something. So. Um, my, when my brother and I drove to Nebraska to bury my mom's ashes, we were like, well, let's, let's find some stuff to do on the way. So I was like, never seen the Grand Canyon. And the point of what I'm getting at is when we got to the Grand Canyon, it was raining that morning. So the entire thing was completely filled with fog. You could not see a foot in front of you. Yet they were still taking the $20 admission fee to drive into there, knowing it was completely not visible. Uh... So it just took me back to my Grand Canyon experience. People are like, you been there? I'm like, kinda, <laughs> kinda, I guess. Oh man. Well, yeah. well speaking of the the, the uh, national parks and whatnot, I, I saw that you, um, when you were finishing up the the record, lament. There you go, Michelle. Uh, yeah. That you went out to Joshua Tree for a few days to. Uh, yeah. To what? So, I mean, I always wonder because you know, my first, I'm like, I'm like, what is, what does a sober guy do in Joshua Tree for three days? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, what, what's the? Because because I think a lot of people would imagine, oh, the band goes out to the country and then they, you know, do like ayahuasca and sleep in a tent and you know they're they imagine the finish of the song or like something like that. Like, what was that? Where did you go and and what did you do and and how did that help you f- finish the record? Um yeah, so uh it was a matter of thinking where can I go 
that's very far from people that I can't be distracted, likely doesn't have a great Wi-Fi, you know, even though I'm going to need it for, for certain things. But like, you know, it's like I'm not reliant upon it. I can bring books. I can bring records, all these different things. Um, and uh, so I looked up like a very cheap Airbnb, like, you know, 30 miles outside of the town. Okay. Bought a bunch of groceries and um and and just went out there and uh just you by drove myself out to, there from California. Uh, well, from LA from LA to Joshua Tree is only about mm, two hours. Maybe. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's not too bad. Wow, it's it's uh, it's not too bad. Um, so just drove out there and and um and was like I just I had three more songs I had to finish and we were starting recording in like ten days. I was just climbing the walls just so stressed out on getting these things done. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like, you know, I, I have a really hard time getting my footing, um, when it comes to, to, uh, to getting an idea for a song. And especially with this record, I was, I was really kind of all over the place because I didn't necessarily have like a theme, Mm -hmm. which I kind of fell into the rhythm of thinking that every record needed to have one. Because right. the last one being so specifically about my mom, and then right, right, the record right, before right. that was sort of about turning thirty, and you know what my life is at that point, and like what I'm, how I'm living, and blah blah blah. So like that's a lot I of pressure. Into, yeah, yeah, and I went into this record being like, I haven't had an event, and last time I thought to myself, man, I don't have an event to write about. The most terrible thing in my life happened. So it's like you know, I don't want to jinx myself and you know ask for something worse. So right, right, right. Um, so I was, you know, like, what am I going to write about? And, and, uh, I went to a lot of different friends and musician friends and, and whatever, and just kind of picked their brain. And, and it was actually Brett Gerwitz at Epitaph, who was like, just kind of reminded me, he's like, you don't need to write like a better record or like, a, or not like a, or, you know, like a, a deeper record. You don't have to do that. You just need to write a good record. Just go write a good record. And I, and I, and I remember that I can allow myself to have the freedom to, kind of write about a bunch of different things. It doesn't have to be one singular thought. So yeah, cool. So that was very helpful. So I went out there and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And and um so I I wrote a song called Exit Row, which is which feels very 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 much like uh like I feel like you can hear in sort of the the song on the record that like I'm climbing the walls just out of my mind sort of oh, like wow. anxious to to oh. like it's 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 like the most uh claustrophobic song uh I, I i can imagine from us and yeah and then i wrote a song called a broadcast uh and then the last song in the record record of forecast and um they were yeah they, they all just kind of came out over those over those couple days but it was it was helpful to go out there i mean yeah i know like the uh the thing it's uh, Joshua Tree's attributed to is like, I think there's like an entourage episode where they all do uh, like mushrooms and walk around the park or something like that. Yeah, just picture uh, like Bono in a silk shirt, you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. But, and then, uh, you know, going out there is such a, a different feeling than probably it was even, you know, 10 years ago where, yeah, you know, you, you used to, it used to be you go out to Joshua Tree and it was, you know, um, I, you know, they have like a, uh, they have like a swap meet there um, that, Yo, I'm not kidding. It's people literally selling garbage. Like it's 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 like every table has like the McDonald's cups, uh, the Happy Meals cups from like you know 1992, and they're like forty dollars. You're just like you're literally selling garbage. Um, 
and, and it's all people who are like, you know, the most leather sunburned people you've ever seen in your life. Yeah. But now it's interesting. You go there and you're like, oh, cool. There's like a fucking organic cheese shop. And, right, uh, right, right, right. You know, like all, all the typical hipster things we all make fun of. But like, it's it's such an interesting juxtaposition looking at it now because you're like, the desert rats are still good. They're always going to be here. Right. They're always going to be here. And just looking, watching them coexist with with that is is super interesting Uh, (laughs) oh my god now do like the like hipsters like go to the swap meet to to try to find cool stuff and have run-ins with the with the desert leather lizard people yeah well what's best is is when you see the hipsters having a table next to next to them you're just like uh this is so good you're selling crystals next to this person who's who's literally selling a a, a lawnmower lawnmower with no blades you know what i'm saying yeah yeah. oh see i knew i missed my chance my my wife and i have been to Kauai in hawaii a couple times and i actually got married there and they uh oh beautiful I was always joking the whole time we'd be in like just the middle like a fucking mud patch and you know somewhere and I'm like, yo, if we put this shit in bell jars and brought it home and sold it at one of those fucking farmer's markets in Jersey City, we could be like Hawaiian exfoliation mud, you know? Oh, just yeah. like tie a little ribbon around it. We could, we've been fucking loaded, yeah. you know? Totally. 100%. 100%. That's awesome. That, that, when you worked with Ross Robinson on this one, was he, um, you know, part of the pre-production process that early like when you went out there when did he get a hold of the songs and and you guys start working uh that's a good question um one i haven't been asked yet so again killing it killing it man um (laughs) so he historically has always been a part of the pre-production um because he comes from the era of being able to be in the studio with a band for months right so yeah yeah so like you know, he's, he's been a part of every situation where like, maybe there's a band that comes in with no songs written and right. he's a part of yeah. all of that. The days you know when saying? people had like million dollar recording budgets and used studios to actually write their albums. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, with this though, we, we found, we, we were writing it on and off for two years because wow. there were situations where like, we, you know, we, we were like, okay, we got to start writing a record. Let's think about it. We'd write a couple songs and then a tour would come our way and we'd be like, well, let's go do this tour. And then we'd come back and then it's always, uh, I'm sure you, you both can speak to this, but like, once you get home from a tour, it's really hard to convince everyone to be like, all right, now let's get back in the, in the practice space and keep, get back to writing. Yeah, you know, it's right, like right. everyone needs at least a month to sort of a little detox. decompress. Yeah, yeah. sure. Um, and you know, I, th- I think what's kept our band together so long is because we have that ability to get home from a long tour and sort of scatter, not really communicate in, in a healthy way, uh, right. in a way that, in a way that like, we all have such vastly different personal lives outside of the band that it's always worked where like, when we see each other after months of not really hanging, it's wonderful. It feels like a reunion. We're all catching up and learning about each other's lives right. and, and you know, and it's a healthy thing. And then we get home from tour, and it's like, cool. See you in a few months. Yeah, um, like I'm in a fantasy basketball league with Clayton, and I know you don't know shit about that. Uh, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. Zero. Yeah. Um, but but it makes sense. I, I get it. He's our he's our uh, he's our sports guy. Um, but yeah, so like uh, you know, we it's 2019 for us, we looked at as like 
well, this is the nostalgia year. So like, let's, mm. we're going to re-record our first record. So we did that and we reissued that with like a big deluxe reissue of it. But actually when we went into the studio to re-record that record, we used that same time to do pre-production demos for the new record. Oh, okay, so we cool. just like, we're like, okay, let's, let's, we're in the studio for a few days. Let's just use it as best we can. Um, and then, uh, then we got, uh, a European tour with Death Heaven come our way. And we were like, well, they're a band we've always wanted to tour yeah, with. Good tour. Yeah. Uh, let's do that. And then we were like, okay, you know, so the original plan was like, let's record in the summer of 2019. And then we were like, well, let's do this Dead Horse thing. Let's play some Dead Horse shows. And then we're like, okay, we'll record in the fall of 2019. And then we mm-hmm. got the Death Heaven tour. We're like, well, let's play these Dead Horse sets on that Death Heaven tour so we can kind of do it worldwide. Gotcha. And then, and then it was like, uh, then we're like, okay, we'll record in the winter of 2019. Okay, right. And then a lot of dispute came our way and was like, hey, do you guys want to tour? And we hadn't toured with them since 2010. And our bands have always been sort of looked at as brother bands. Yeah, sure. So we were like, well, that's a, that'll wrap up the year of nostalgia. It'll put some money in our pockets for the holidays, kind of put our, put some money in our pockets for going into the studio and taking a lot of time off. So, uh, you know, so then we pushed it to the, to February of 2020 and that's when we finally went in. And so in January, we recorded the rest of the pre-production demos with our buddy Alex Estrada, who recorded our first record and okay. he's done hesitation win stuff and yeah, uh, yeah. whatever. He's always our go-to guy. He's the, he's awesome. And, uh, to answer your question after all of that was, uh, we sent the songs to Ross when they were done and Ross admittedly was like, I listened to them once. I think they're great, but I'm not going to get used to them. I want to, I want to go into this with fresh ears. Sure. I don't want to think too much about how the pre-production sounded and how, what I like the most about the pre-production songs. I want to hear the songs, get excited that what I'm about to play with, but I don't want to get married to them. I don't, and, and a lot of advice that came from management and, and everyone else was sort of like, which is something I never really dealt with. I'd be curious to hear your opinion on it, but he was like, don't, listen to your demos too much because you're going to get demoitis or whatever. Yeah. Or like you, you get so used to how they sound that you have a harder time uh, listening to suggestions or sort of shaking out of that skin. Do you ever deal with that? hundred percent. I think that's extremely wise advice, especially if you're pretty far away from getting into something. I think that's when you start to get into like, this over analytical battle with yourself when you're there on what is, what is the right decision and, and not what feels the best or what's the best impulse. So I do think that's, that's pretty sound advice. I've definitely dealt with that before on either end where somebody else had demoitis and couldn't take a suggestion as to a reframing of the song anymore, or myself got it where you just get like anything, you know, like, here, here's an example I'll use for it. You ever get a compilation where you like loved a song, you loved track three. It was like your favorite song in the compilation. And after like 15 times, you sort of started to love track two as well, even though you didn't at first, but now you've heard it 15 times and you're just like, I'm pretty used to that song and it's kind of cool. I think like just the same thing happens on a personal level where you... You just hear something so many times you can't imagine hearing it another way, regardless of what it is. And, and that's a hard thing to get out of your head once it's in there because everything is based off it. You know, you change one thing and then a vocal part you liked isn't there anymore. A guitar part you like isn't there anymore. So, yeah, I think it's I've definitely dealt with that. I think it's pretty sound advice. It's funny. What I thought you were going to say was you get used to this song 
on a compilation and then it appears on the band's next record, but it's re-recorded and oh, it's like, that's the word. And then you hear it and then you're like, I'm so used to this yeah. way. And I think it's that exact that's same true too. Yeah, exactly. situation where you're like, you're like, I'm, but I'm used to this one. Mm-hmm. It, it, I liked when the, I liked how the guitars sound on this recording. Why, or why is the tempo just a little bit slower on the album version? Listen, you know, it's one of the greatest things about human beings in general is our ability to adapt to shitty things. You know, <laughs> if you hear like, if you hear the same shitty sound 50 times, you know, we are Pavlov's creatures. Like we're going to start. Being like, eh, I kind of I mean, like it. It's there's been actual proof of this to, to the effect of like, even you think um, there's a few albums from back in the day. Like I know I can think of at least like one replacements song where this is before you could fucking do multi-track demos that were super slick and people still like put the cassette version on the album. You know what I mean? Right. Mm, yeah. And, yeah. And I think like that, so I worked with a band not long ago and basically the, what I would adhere to is it should just be used for arrangement purely. Like you should literally pretend that you have a cassette deck in the room with you. And all you're trying to do is remember like, you know, your rough vocal phrasing and kind of where the song changes, you know, you should be able to hear everybody's part, but like, yeah, once you start multi-tracking demos, I think that's a that it gets really dangerous. Unless you're prepared to go ahead and use those, you know. Yeah, or if you're just mathy as fuck too. You yeah. know, like I mean, it depends on the yeah. band a lot, but as a general like if you're rule for your escape plan, yeah, like go for it. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> what what you're saying is is uh, is very real. Like what what is important for me. Like I got some pushback from the guys in my band when I was like, let's go in with Alex Estrada. Because I think it, we did those literally like a week before we started the record. Mm. So for them, there was like more studio time before we go in the studio. Right, like, right, you know, it just, right, it right. sounded really unappetizing for them, which, which for all me, by all means, I respect. But for me, it was like, I need to be able to hear my vocal ideas like with clarity. Right. As opposed to just like doing it in our practice space to a voice memo. You know what right, I'm saying? Like, sure. I want to make sure that this sounds audibly right. So. That was like, that's why I always kind of push to do those sort of demos that sound at least good or like pretty good. And Alex is, is quite, quite great at, at especially capturing what we do because we've known him for so long. Right. Um, so, so working with him is, is super, super helpful. So, um, it, it let me go into the studio with confidence that like, okay, I know how to sing these songs at least. And now I'm open to whatever Ross is going to suggest we do. Um, with them you know and and um there was moments on the record where ross was suggesting things that i had to take a back seat to and be like you know the one or two of them i, I remember when he suggested i thought to myself like yo that's the worst idea i've ever heard in my life <laughs> and but i'm not going to say that out loud i'm just yeah. going to let him do his thing and then i would hear the playback of it and i'd be like holy shit, that was the right idea. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was sort of like a, a, a really good learning lesson for me to like not just be dismissive of something because I'm used to how something sounds. Yeah. You know, like I had to sort of shake that out. And um, I think some of the wilder choices on the record came from that um, ability to step outside of myself and let Ross do his thing because it's like, yo, he's been doing this so long and he's clearly pretty good at it. Right. <laughs> so right. I just have to trust that this guy knows how to make a decision or two. And, and he certainly does. He's the most, he's, he's fascinating to watch work because 
there was no point where his energy level wasn't at a 10 because he's just so excited and there's no lack. There's not a single moment where there's a lack of an idea. Like if I'm stumped on something, he's got 40 ideas already in the chamber ready to throw right, out. Right. It's fascinating. Oh. Fascinating to watch happen. That's really cool. You know, it makes me think it, it, sometimes I think, you know, one of the issues with it is just like, if you fall in love with everything too, it's so hard to cut, you know? And if, yeah. and, and even though, even though it may not be right for the song, like, are you a fan of the, the film Almost Famous? I, yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah. Uh, like I had just listened to a podcast with, I believe it was the producer for Almost Famous. And, you know, he was, he was lauding Cameron Crowe in a lot of ways. And he talked about a scene where a character who was, um, I forget the name of the character, William Miller's sister, uh, yeah. you know, who leaves the house and leaves in the records. Apparently there was a scene that was like 12 minutes long with her boyfriend listening to a Led Zeppelin album in front of Francis McDormand and, and the daughter of William Miller trying to explain like the magic of rock and roll. And apparently it's one of the most like hilarious scenes that you could like ever see. And the, character who played it completely nailed it and it was his only part of the movie you know it was like this one thing and and apparently there was a great debate you know going towards like oh how can you cut this scene it's so cool it's so cool and cameron crowe towards the end was just like as much as i love this i love it to death i love this guy it needs to be cut for like the flow of the story and the story just won't work the same way if you don't cut this part. And the guy was saying that, you know, the greatest strength of someone like Cameron Crowe is to have that discipline, to know that something you love needs to be cut for the entire story. I think that's something that comes in time with just being an artist and a musician longer and longer. You know, you just get a better sense of that stuff. What's interesting is, and this is, that I don't want to throw a negativeness into into that great analogy you just put there, but you know the director's cut of of almost famous is bad. Oh, is are you it? with me? It's bad. I've never seen that. Does it have that scene? I don't think it. I if, if it does, it didn't. I, it didn't I can't. Register. I don't remember okay. that. So so like the so the Blu-ray version of Almost Famous. I think the only available version for a while now has just been the director's cut, oh, and okay. I bought it. Uh, just because I wanted to own that record, I mean, that, that movie years ago and Ashley hadn't seen it before. So, um, we were like, you know, years ago, I was like, yeah, it's thrown almost famous and she hadn't seen it. And the whole time I'm watching it being like, this is a bad introduction. This isn't the movie, you know, like, <laughs> right. and, and it really wasn't very good. Oh, and it so was, maybe it this was, changes like, everything. Maybe Cameron Crowe just films tons of shit and cuts tons of shit. Maybe that's just his style. <laughs> you know, I, 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 str- I still stand by editors. If it wasn't for editors, movies wouldn't be good. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, oh, like God, every, yeah. behind every, behind every great director is, is an editor that just makes it great. Oh, behind you know? some shitty directors are editors who have like made a film great. Made it come to life. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's, you know, getting back to albums, I've always been a big advocate for um, mi- using mixers because they're not going to know that you spent five hours getting that mm. one guitar lead perfect, you know? Yeah, All they're going to yeah. know is like, it fucking doesn't work. You know, and I mean, I've done this yeah. with my own shit. I've literally, I've, I, and I knew I was doing it. 
I've mixed in parts on stuff that I was working on that totally, I'm like, I know this doesn't work at all, but it took me so long to get this sound. I'm just going to put it really low so you can't hear it, even though it fucking sucks. So I know yeah. just from analyzing myself that, you know, and that's you why I've always nerd, advocated Brad. for somebody comes to the, comes to it. They listen to the tracks and they're like, okay, I'm going to use everything that, that makes this song work and nothing that doesn't make it work. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no doubt. Speaking of records, I got, I got one last question I need from you. The Rob Gordon question. Okay. Okay. So records, I need to know your first record. What was the first record you ever owned? See, now I'm thinking about it in terms of record that I bought with my own money, as in like I sought it out or I wanted it. So, you know, I, or something that I enjoyed on the radio. So my, my parents bought it for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm, I I think let's do both. Let's do both. Okay. So I remember, uh, this obviously hasn't aged well, but, uh, (laughs) I was obsessed with Michael Jackson, Sure, like obsessed with Michael Jackson as a very young kid. Like I had a a, a little jean jacket that I filled with like, you know, (laughs) silly buttons all over because I wanted to look like him in the bad music video. You weren't the only one, man. You weren't. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a, uh, it was, it was everything, you know. Like um, when, when I was super young, I was just super mesmerized by, by, uh, by the fame that he had sure. and uh, those songs that were just so catchy. Um, I, I fell in love with music at a crazy young age. Or I remember like going on trips to uh, Nebraska to visit my mom's uh, parents and things like that, and and my my father recording cassette tapes of just the radio yeah. and i remember just uh, always laughing when he sent us those cassette tapes just so i could listen to the radio back at home i was always just like really you just couldn't take out the commercials you just kept the commercials <laughs> in your dad you just you definitely just put a tape in and walked away yeah come uh, on get two tape decks bud yeah yeah like, what are you doing uh but yeah so like i, I remember the i remember that very very vividly um so i, I liked michael jackson and kind of a lot of stuff that was that was also in that sort of realm as a kid and then um, it wasn't until I would have to say it was probably Pearl Jam's ten. Okay, that that was like the cassette because I remember I remember seeing the Even Flow music video and being just so taken back by by the 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 like yeah I remember there's that scene in it where Eddie Vedder climbs the yeah, railing. Yeah, what's and, he doing on the rafters? Yeah, yeah, and and uh and I think that's sort of. Um, ingrained in my head the idea of being in a band as silly as that is in in 90 i mean i was born in 83 so in 91 i was i was quite young still so uh but but i think being if i was to overanalyze being a the younger brother looking at all the attention you know that this person's getting he's getting to jump on these people and they're all excited to catch him (laughs) like all that sort of like that attention and that excitement for someone performing just sort of like stuck in my head. So, so I became obsessed with Pearl Jam and then not too long after obviously I got Nevermind and those two records were, you know, just just influenced everything and still influence everything today. You know, what was your first piece of vinyl? Um, so I loved so okay, so I was a uh, I was a big so in '94. So this is this kind of ties in with Ross Robinson in a way. So 
Kurt Cobain dies in 94. And months later, I, I, you know, I took, I took Kurt Cobain's death personally because not only was he my hero, but but he was, he died within a day or two of my birthday. Oh, wow. So I was, I remember where I was when I heard it, you know, like all that. Yeah. Oh, I was, I was so devastated. And, you know, it, it happened in 94. So, I was 11 years old. So it's like, you know, I was taking it pretty hard, but you know, the, clearly people older than me were taking it even harder. Uh, but I was just leveled out. I was like, my hero's gone. I'll never like music again. <laughs> like all that sort of shit. And then months later, I saw the video for Blind from Korn yeah. on a music video channel because it was the same year. Um, and it's interesting, you know, when I, when you think about it, it's super interesting that we can't think of a time when Kurt Cobain overlapped with like, Things like Corn or Marilyn yeah, Manson, like right. they didn't exist at the same time. One had to go for the other to come in. I think, hmm. uh, which is an interesting thing. That's a whole other conversation. But like, um, so Corn's music video for Blind came out, and I was like, Ah, what is this? It's the most aggressive thing I've ever heard in my life. It's scary. It's it's whatever. So I bought that cassette tape, and then you know, not long after, they put out a VHS that was sort of a behind the scenes on the band and that record, and it had Ross Robinson talking in it. And I was just mesmerized by how interesting and weird he was. Huh. It's just like, whoa, this guy's crazy. Um, <clears throat> so that like, it took me down a wormhole. And, you know, this was pre-internet days and everything like that. So like, it was the thing of anything that was on Korn's label, which was Immortal Records, which was a short-lived, uh, right. a short-lived uh, major label connection to Sony. Okay. Um, I bought. So with that, I got Incubus. Like the first Incubus records gotcha. were on Immortal, like Science and Fungus Among Us and all that. And also on that label was the band Far, oh, uh, Sacramento yeah. band in the same realm as Deftones. Water and Solutions, uh, classic. Exactly. So Water and Solutions was just fucking everything to me. That Still was like pretty that, awesome. That, it holds up. Yeah. yeah. That, they became they became my favorite band in in uh in the nine in the late nineties. Cool. So with my obsession with uh, with Immortal Records, uh, for my birthday, my mom ordered me a T-shirt from Immortal Records, which was really interesting because this was again pre-internet. So she had to like, I think she literally wrote them a letter and ah. was like, "My son is a huge fan. Uh, you know, how can I get something?" And they sent my mom back a care package, which is really sweet. Oh, so wow. I had. I had like a Far Water and Solutions T-shirt, which I wish I still had because I'm sure those '90s T-shirts are worth something. Yeah, probably. So, and and uh, but in it came. They put out a. They did a. Uh, there was a a Far split seven inch with Incubus. Oh, that, shit. that they yeah that they that they they actually have two. There's two Far split wow. seven inches with Incubus. I didn't know that. Um, one has the song uh, Water and Solutions, and the other one has Mother Mary on. Oh, great song. So, um. So I, I got that and it also threw in a compilation seven inch that had uh that has a uh, incubus far corn and this band called The Urge, which was like a oh, rap metal I sort of ska band. I saw them open for for three eleven. That one hundred percent makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, they they were right there. Like they were born to be the direct support for three eleven. By the way, side uh, funny story, I was once in St. Louis at a house party getting drunk and some guy was like, listen, St. Louis is the best music scene in America. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. come on, like name your bands. And he said, <laughs> Nelly, Story of the Year, and The Urge. Oh my. And, and I was like, brother, 
You just got to the urge on number three. All right. Don't even make me do this to you. You know, don't even make me do this to you. But okay, go on. I do know more about the urge than, than you yeah, would think. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. You you and me might be the only two people who could have more than one thing to say about the I urge. That's so. really funny. Yeah. So, so yeah, like uh, it, it was those two seven inches. Then it was before I had a record player, but they just threw them in, you know, like they were just this thing. And, and my mom had a turntable in the living room that I, I was really excited to play with nice. and try out and, you know, put this record on. Um, and then the first seven inch that I, that I like sought after is also far related. It was cause you know, you become a nerd about music and you have yeah, to, you yeah, know, the, the excitement of digging and finding these things. So I, with doing research on far, I learned that this, the guitar player, Sean Lopez, um, sang in a hardcore band hmm. called Inner Strength, which is actually Victory Records number yeah. one. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah. So that. Good. So then yeah. I, found, I found that seven inch, and that that was the first seven inch that I bought with my own money. Yeah, Inner Strength is on that first that first like Victory compilation. I for, I think I forget what it's called. Yeah, I, I can tell you because I have it. Um, it's a picture disc. It's got a great picture disc. I believe I own somewhere in there. It's- Oh, well, no, the picture disc is uh, is the California Takeover. I think. Oh but, yeah, but, maybe, yeah. But uh, the it's called Victory, the early singles, and it has like a guy in like a yeah, in like a a, 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 a Greco Roman wrestling outfit. This is Victory, and he's got children hanging on him. Of but uh, it has Inner Strength, Billingsgate, Insight, Ice, and Iceburn. Wow, on it. what a lineup yeah. at the beginning! What That's a lineup. Awesome. That's crazy. Now, I know every record collector has their like holy grail record that that they've been looking for or looked for for years. What was your your most sought out album ever that took the longest to find or is there an album you're still looking for? Oh, there's definitely albums I'm still always looking for. You know, I have I have my list, but like I I'm I'm a I'm, I'm a huge Converge collector. Okay. Um I have I have a ridiculous converge collection. You have the five inch, and, I imagine. Uh, oh yeah, I have yeah, both Many both formats, versions of it. Yeah, yeah <laughs> white and black. Uh, but the but the uh, the first time we went to uh, J- we got to play Japan. Um, they're known for their insane record yeah, stores. Yeah. So we went into the first uh, the first day of being there. We went into a disc union, which is which is sort of their chain. And they have like just punk and hardcore disc unions, which are just so dangerous. And <laughs> the, the first, I went to the new arrivals of like, you know, recently, sec- and it's all secondhand stuff. And uh, literally the first two finger flips, like after the first record, you know, like the, there was one up front and I, whatever that was. But then the just behind that was the first press tour edition of Jane Doe, Ooh. Um, which was out of, I think it's like, which is out of, 200 or maybe three i forget if it's 250 or 300 it's the most limited version of it and then behind that was the very first converge 12 inch release of halo in a haystack they were right next to each other and i and i and they were both only 50 dollars each in great condition crazy and i was like the first two flips i already spent a hundred dollars here this is this is dangerous and but those were two of the most sought after records that I'd always had, you know, I had like an, I have other, I had other copies of Jane Doe, the first press, but they took me years to find. I started collecting records when Jane Doe came out. So like I have a black vinyl version of that first press, but like getting the color versions were just so out of my reach because everybody held onto them or wanted $500 for them. So 
finding those were just like super massive. Um, and it, as far as day one. Yeah. And it, yeah, way more than that for sure. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, one that's always that is on my list that uh, if any listener has has yeah. uh, is the when forever comes crashing. Um, there's a, a f- I have every other color of it, but I don't have the most limited color, which is uh, the clear vinyl version, which I think is out of 100 or 150. It's just okay. It's, it's never never come my way, and and as much as I can just you know dig for it on eBay and and discogs. There's certain records that I like to have find me through mm. going to a record store. That's you know, cool. I, I think it's it's more fun. Like, there's sure. if it's a record that I just kind of want or I think is cool, I'll get it off Discogs out of just like you know, two a.m. I'm up and I and I'm feeling frisky and yeah, I'll spend thirty dollars on that. Yeah. But like, but but the like the records that are very very hard to find, I, I still like the the romantic yeah, thing of of that. finding it in a record store. You only you only yeah. eat what you kill. The amp- yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the internet has ruined the riddle. It's true. There's something about wandering into a store that you've never seen before and being like, "Holy shit, I'm about to blow all my fucking money." <laughs> and honestly, it also makes your ability to say no way harder because right. when you yeah. see it in person, no matter what that price tag says, you get into bad situations where you're like, "Oh no!" Like I. I fell down the hole in this last year of getting really into collecting first pressings of horror soundtracks, mm. which is a whole other world. Uh, uh, there's a label that put out so many of the most important and beloved soundtracks called like, if I'm, I apologize if I'm saying it wrong, but I think it's like Verace Sarabande. Okay. And for instance, they did like, they were the label in the eighties that put out, like the Halloween soundtrack, the huh. Night of Living Dead soundtrack, and then as far as like Coen Brothers movies, they did the there's a, a there's a, a double sided twelve uh, twelve inch that has the Blood Simple soundtrack on one side and Raising Arizona on the other. Wow. Uh, they did the Miller's Crossing soundtrack, which which I just finally actually found someone who is selling a, a copy of it. It's really hard to find. Uh, but yeah, like they, I mean, fucking, uh, but then horror wise, like the maniac soundtrack, like, uh, the dawn of the dead, like all all those, just the coolest, you know, they're, they all have sort of a format to the way they look where like the label logos in the top left corner. Um, they just look sick and they're really, really hard to find. So, uh, so that's been like my new venture that I didn't need to get myself wrapped up into, but it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's a fun thing to do. I love so that. that's, that's my new thing. Yeah. That's super cool. Well, Jeremy, thanks for coming on with us. Yeah. It was, Sorry. it was really nice. It was nice to do this. It's been a few years and, uh, yeah. you know, not to, not to take, drag this out further. I know you're just trying to get me to go home, no. but, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, one of the great things that came from my last time doing this with you was a relationship with Justin Pearson. Oh, which that's right. Because we did the episode, and then, and then I remember Jonah. Well, right? Jonah said, "Yeah, we have Justin Pearson coming in right after you to do this That's next right. episode. Do you want to co-host?" Yeah. And at that time, Justin Pearson was still a very intimidating person to me. Where I was like, "Oh my god!" He, I mean, being from Southern California, he's like, you know, he's he's sort of a god among. He's still pretty genre. intimidating to me. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. But you know, and and I. I was expecting him to be really intense and he ended up, you know, I, and I remember saying to Jonah I, I, or, or you, one of you, one of you, or I was like, I'm going to, 
base my decision on my interaction with him. <laughs> like if I'm going to meet him, oh, and I'm going right. to meet him in the yeah, lobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if he's if he's warm, oh. I'm down. If he's if he's not very friendly, I'm, I'm a bounce. Yeah, yeah. I totally and, forgot and, about this. Yeah. And we met, <laughs> and he was so sweet. And I was like, and I remember like shooting one of you a look and being like, I'm in. I'm staying. <laughs> yeah. And that was a great time. I ha- I loved doing that podcast with him. And uh and we remained friends. And it was actually he played a role also in this Ross Robinson thing. Oh, yeah. Where, oh, fuck yeah. Because he did uh the Dead Cross records with with him. And oh. I kind of looked to Justin as being someone who has a really good um bullshit detector. Ah. Oh. So I'm thinking if Justin's doing not only one record but multiple records sure. with this guy, yeah. he's got to be he's got to be something special. And having Justin say, "Yo, I the way I approach music changed after working with Ross. Wow. Like he's he's my fucking guy." So I was like, "All right, you've you've convinced me." So you know, Brad, he's, Brad, he, you he hear this? You hear this, buddy? <laughs> we're 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 building bridges, forming relationships. I think we maybe even have a right to take some points on this album. I <laughs> sure you can have mine. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to sign anything that says that. Can we get it? Maybe yeah, we can get sure. a government arts grant. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, well, thank you so much for having me. Thanks, I have to go everybody. run and get a COVID test now. Oh, dude, thanks for coming on. You going to Dodger Stadium? I want to Dodger Stadium, baby. All right, enjoy Chavez Ravine. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> All right, I'll see you, Jeremy. Thanks, man. See ya. So, have you seen the other music documentary? No. Do you know about it? No. So, I highly recommend it. The only reason I watched it was because my neighbor was one of the owners of Other Music, which was a pretty well-renowned record store that was right across the street from Tower Records in Lower Manhattan. Cool. And I have a record collection that's just kind of by assimilation. I've never been like a record geek. I've certainly been surrounded by it my whole life. But this movie, dude, it's fucking essential because like I know these people, you know, from like <laughs> other record stores. You know what I mean? Like every yeah, yeah, character yeah. in there is somebody that you know. And they really get into this that we were talking about the fucking sort of the sacredness of these records and that these people selling them know everything about them. Right. Yeah, And I'm not here to say, you know, be the old guy saying back in the old days, but like this is a genuinely lost resource that we're, lo- yeah. we're, that is, that we're losing. And it's not just it's not just going to be record stores. It'll probably be like guitar stores. And right. But it's like these people fucking really like it's more than a service, dude. It's like it's religious. It's like the things that yeah. they know about yeah. the product are crazy. Is this just like the internet though, like ruining the idea of like the storyteller? Because even let's say, for instance, I've always just had a a huge well in my brain for pop culture, you know, where I was the guy at a party where someone was like, "Oh, what was the name of that actor in this thing?" I'd be like, "Oh, that was Robert Loja." And he'd be like, "How do you remember that?" And it was so impressive. And then like Google and iPhones come along and I'm like, and you're just no longer guy. impressive. Right. I, cause everybody knows who Robert Loja is. Right. So is this just taken away? Like, like you used to go to record stores and if you wanted to know like the story of this band. Yeah. They would know. Somebody like, would hey, know. what was like the deal with this band? And then all of a sudden they'd, 
tell you where they were from, yeah. their inception story, and the other bands they were in, and it took you down a different, like Jeremy was talking about, you got one record, you saw another name connected to the record, even in like a thank you list or something. Right. You'd be like, who's that? And then you went to that, and you started going down these tracks, and it's like... Well, there's a good scene in this film where a guy walks in and he goes like, you know, like, I would like to, I'd like a record that's like, like, I really like Lou Reed, but I want a record by a bit, somebody I've never heard of. Right. And like, dude, you can't, there's no amount of Googling that's going to like make, that's going to sort that out for you. you know dude, what I that mean? is how I discovered Nirvana. Oh, really? Literally how I did it. So, so, you know, I talked about it a little in the, in the interview. Like I used to go to these record shows. My mom was a collector. My parents are divorced. My brother and sister are gone. My mom wanted to go to these record shows. She would get me to go by like giving me a little bit of money I could spend on my own shit when I was there. Right. And at the time and and taking me out to eat wherever I wanted. You know, this was this was the deal right. to get me to go. But I liked it. I liked going to my mom. She didn't drag me there, you know? And I went in there one day and I was talking to a guy and I was telling him what I liked. And I think I was talking about like some cock rock stuff and like maybe Led Zeppelin and shit like that. And he gave me Nirvana Bleach on cassette. Oh, really? Literally. He's like, you should check out this band. Right. You know, and this is like, I heard Nirvana Bleach like way early. I did not get it. And I didn't really like it because it was just like too much for my little ears. I didn't understand (laughs) yet. And then like Nevermind came out and I bought it even a little before like they got super famous. Right. And yeah, like, like that's literally how I discovered Nirvana was just going to one of these guys and being like, Hey, this is what I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I kind of missed that. I even worked at a record store at the tail end of when, uh, digital killed record stores. And, and it, it's what a, I mean, you know, it was so quiet. I mostly, you know, got stoned <laughs> out of the back and ate eggplant Parmesan sandwiches and vacuumed and shit. But, uh, you know, I think that's what record store guys have always done, even when it was busy, even when they were busy. (laughs) I definitely kept the floors clean. I was like, oh, we sold three things today. Shit, that's cool. But so speaking of records, they have a new record out. Yeah. Called Lament. I think it's their best, maybe. I mean, I've only listened to it once all the way through. So maybe I won't say it's the best. But I heard the advanced copy and they're. They're definitely running to the next level. Like Touche Moore sounds real good and dynamic. And I could see I could see them breaking into some like areas that maybe they hadn't broken before. And they're, you know, going on uh I think their first records over ten years old now. And they're I don't know, they're just turning into one of the good mainstay hardcore acts that are around. So Everybody definitely check out this new record and check out Jeremy's new podcast, the first ever podcast, which I thought he was going to say was an ironic take being like, oh, everyone has podcasts. I'm the first ever. That's what I thought it was. I thought he was being tongue in cheek. But really, it's interviewing people and finding out what the firsts and the things, you know, the first of their life are. So there's a pretty cool concept. And Jeremy is just an awesome guy to listen to anyway. So. Everybody check that stuff out. He's just uh, Jeremy X Bohm on Twitter and Instagram. Touche Amore is just Touche Amore. Uh, am I supposed to say Touche Amore or Touche Amore? I would think it's Amore. I mean, it's spelled that way. 
Yeah. But I've always said touche more because that's what everybody else says. But isn't there like an accent on it? I mean, if we're like speaking Italian, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is it Houston or Houston? <laughs> don't start that. <laughs> I always feel bad. for New Yorkers are such I know, dicks. I know, I know, you know. It's ridiculous. How the fuck are you supposed to know it's Houston Street in right. Greenwich Village? You're- and you just got to hold that over people. Yeah. It's so mean. <laughs> you know, I would... If, if I was from somewhere else, I wa- it, it would spell Greenwich. It would <laughs> right. spell Houston. What it does spell do you Greenwich. You're us? right. Come on. Yeah, that was dicks. not fair. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> anyway, um, check yeah. out the record for sure. Check and out the for sure. can we announce that we're going to have some quality new content on uh, Patreon this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. So we have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash going off track. There's a lot of old content, bonus content on there. There's a few totally bonus podcasts that mm-hmm. are not available anywhere else. And we're about to post another one right. with the Hiltzes. The Hilt, the Jersey Legends. It's a good, it's a really good podcast. Yeah. It's, it's a show that was going to probably originally be available to the public, but it's a little personal. Although, I mean, it's, if you're, you know, if you're anywhere connected to, Benny or his scene, it's not that personal. But um, That's true. it's a great, it's great. There's, they talk, we talk about a lot of stuff that even, even I know about. So it's, it's good. Um, but that'll be available only on Patreon. So yeah, get over there if you want to be a patron. What's the address, Brad? Patreon.com slash going off track. You know what we need? We need like a 1 800 cars for kids thing going on. Oh, God. Why did you say that? <laughs> <laughs> we need our slogan song. Oh. Okay. Anybody out there wants to make the uh, the slogan for us? We've had some awesome contributions for our mystery friend theme, but feel free. Oh, yeah, we need alien contributions. Feel free now. to send us like any any theme music you want after you build Benny his Wikipedia page. Yeah, and and <laughs> go to askcap.com and write me in for some points. <laughs> That's a whole another. I think. <laughs> Or call him and write, ask him to write a hit song with you that then becomes a hit. Yeah. That'd be easier, I think, than re- rearranging your ASCAP. Uh, hey, Brad, do you want to know something I never told anyone? Now that we're almost at the end of this podcast, let me know. In 1984, I wrote, I want to dance with somebody. And you, ne- and you're never, and you haven't got it. And I didn't take my points. Yeah, see, yeah, dude? I was just like, you know what? I love music. <laughs> this is a great song. I just want to give it. You didn't, the world. you didn't know. I was only four. <laughs> you didn't know. You I didn't was, know. I was altruistic, you know. Yeah. And I didn't take care of myself. My life would be different if, if Whitney just gave me some money. Seriously. Know? So that's a lesson for everyone. Yeah. Get your points, dude. Get your points. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you, Brad. I will uh, see you next week. Yeah.